What's going on? Uh, what are the best movie theaters that you remember going to see a movie at when you were younger? Uh, I mean, it could be a... now too, I guess, but I mean, right. you know, uh, no, 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 no. Um, I have a real affection uh, for a movie theater that is no longer there uh, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, it's called the Bama six. Uh, it was in a strip mall. Um, and I saw like all the formative, you know, eighties movies there. I mean, I, st I sticky floors, you know, the whole, uh, I do remember smoking, like people were smoking, um, in the theater. Um, really? Yeah. I have a very distinct memory of that. Um, you know, it was a little like flip ashtrays they used to put in airline seats and shit, you know, those, uh, uh little flip up, uh, uh, ones um but yeah yeah i'd say the bama six what about you how long well how long has the bama six been closed oh when lord it, when did it <clears throat> shut down do you know i think it shut down about 15 years ago well so what sparked that was uh nostalgia because i've, I've been reading quentin tarantino's book uh cinema speculation mm -hmm. and he opens up talking about all these you know grand movie palaces mm -hmm. um that were in that were kind of just kind of formed Hollywood and the, you know, and the, and the strip, so to speak. Um, and he was speaking about them with such, you know, lavish, like passion and praise, you know, um, you know how he is. Um, he gushes. And um, it made me start thinking about some of the movie theaters that I, you know, but most of them are gone now. Like they're not there anymore. Oh, yeah. 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 Any, um, any movie theater I saw growing up has been gone like for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I know there are some in Memphis that are still kicking it because, you know, Malco is still a very huge company. But um, uh, but yeah, you know, and then you just start to think about the number of theater chain owners and how it's decreased and all that. I don't know. It was just interesting to me. And I was wondering if you had one that was kind of special, because I think that question is going to become more and more um, uh, historical. Because you know the 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 palaces, the movie mm. theaters, those are rare. I don't you know? I don't know. We're beginning now to see a trend where you know these streaming companies are finally admitting they're not making any profit, like whatsoever. I mean, Disney well, ads are coming. Cannot... I mean, that's the uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but even with ads, it might be too. You know, I I I'm, let's not you know put the absolute death knell in the movie theater just yet. You know, I mean, it, it's... oh, I'm not, I'm not. Oh no, yeah, I mean, it, it's still. People still want to go out and watch a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, li yeah, live events, you know, of any yeah. kind, you know, are not, they're not going away. Thank yeah. God, you know, COVID did not kill those. Yeah. Um, you know, because those are so critical and essential to a community, you know, to have those kinds of performances where you can, um, you can come together and congregate, you know, with some folks that you may or may not know very well, right? But you can have these emotional reactions to these movies. I just, I love, going to the movies and uh, Tarantino's writing just kind of inspired me to, you know, to think about re rekindle that, that passion, you know, with the actual cinema, you know, the, the theater oh, space, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, but cool. there's, well, but there's also dangers with romanticizing, um, you know, and I think that that's a person to person basis. Um, and I appreciate his uh, sort of, joyful exuberance at times but at other times sure. i'm just like you know it's 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 
it's a fucking movie theater like I, you know yeah yeah not, well sure you know, sure 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 well it's you know. it i think to some you know those spaces are holy spaces you know sure. i mean they're sacred spaces and so um I, but i'm right with you like you know some of those movie theaters were you know sticky and they gross. were and gross <laughs> and they were, yeah i mean it they were the only like ones that were just, available yeah. to us though right you right. know i mean it's just like yeah i mean lord i still remember being dropped off you know, by my, sure. by my folks. And they're just like, yeah. pick you up in two hours. Right. Know? Right. I mean, that right. was, a bit, I mean, could you imagine, I, maybe do they, do you have children? So, I mean, does that still go on today? Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. I think though a lot of theaters have age policies now so that like, mm-hmm. if you're a certain age, you can't be there without a parent, like after a certain time in the evening, I've noticed that a lot of theaters around here do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you can also buy tickets now to like, adult only screenings like it has to be a certain age restriction for you to go even sure. if the movie's like even if the movie's like pg right so you like don't have any kids in the uh in the audience so Boy, what a, what a bummer for a kid to find out their parents went and saw the latest pixar uh uh without them sorry without son them. it's a, yeah. adults only right 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 it was great <laughs> <laughs> But you're going to stay here with Jenny and she's going to take right. care of you while we're going. Right. 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 Michael we'll Myers take, will not come. I promise. And we'll take you next weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, you we'll know, go next so weekend. we'll go next. Yeah, week. I, 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 I don't know, Jeff. Um, It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Tarantino was going to the movies at seven. I was going to the movies at five, you know, I'm Tarantino's a little bit older than me uh, by about six years. So um, he had, you know, maybe the generation of, taking your kids to the movies was, you know, obviously increasing in the seventies. And so, I don't know, it just all seemed kind of relevant because, you know, Sorcerer last week and we've been, you know, we've sort of been looking at this, uh, when did old Hollywood shift over to new Hollywood and when did new Hollywood die? And Tarantino firmly believes that new Hollywood began between 1969 and 1970. And I think that's where most of the film historians agree as well. Right. Right. I mean, but we can, but I mean, they usually reach back to Bonnie and Clyde in 66. They do. Yeah. As kind of like the, the, you know, uh, the initial winds of a storm that was coming, right. Bonnie and Clyde just shocked everybody and the graduate. And, you know, there's other movies that you can toss in there other than easy rider and midnight cowboy and some of the, some of the staples, I guess, but that started a movement, you know? And so, and Tarantino it's cool that Tarantino was there consciously kind of watching that, you know, in, you know, in theater spaces, you know? And so it was cool. It was a good, uh, it's, it's a good read. I highly recommend it. So. Okay. All right. Well, you know, the, uh, the, you know, uh, it was nonfiction. So I read it really fast. Right. Right. You know, I, I send you a, a fiction <laughs> book. It's like two years later. You're like, I read a couple chapters. Remember that book you sent me like two years ago by Jose Saramago? Yeah, yeah, I read that. <laughs> well, you know, the uh, I just want to congratulate uh, 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 Indiana Jones for winning the internet this week. Because um, are you excited? Was it Indiana Jones and the is, is this correct? The Dial of Destiny. They win yes. for for alliteration for sure. Um, I you know. It's un. It's not fair for me because again, that's again pulling at real sentimentality, you know, um, which is what they're banking on. Yep. And you know, I, I just want our audience to know that, like, as soon as they announced Indiana Jones Five, I would have bought a ticket then if they had mm-hmm. just, you know, once they confirmed that Harrison Ford was involved. 
I, I'm going to see the movie, right? So you've got okay, me. So, so right, right. But quick, I mean, the only I'm quick question: uh, Is he going to kill off another, you know, franchise? You know, just is he going to just go ahead and 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 kill off Indy? I, I don't know. Um, I, I guess I really hadn't room uh, gone to that sort of rumination place. Um, I, I, I. Oh, I it's think been on my thing- mind since the Force Awakens. Like, cause I was just like, well, you know, if Han Solo is going to go fuck it, like Indiana Jones next, right? Well, I, I mean, I guess if we're, if we're going to follow that logical cultural pipeline. <laughs> that's there, yes, that's how uh, logical I'm being right now. Uh, <laughs> of course I'm not being logical. Jesus. Captain, let me just assume that these are the options that remain. Um, it's only logical. Uh, yes, Spock, but you have to remember that emotion plays a role. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I would be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would. I think the one thing, Jeff, that I'll say to this that I think connects that thought that you just had about is he going to die? Um, I'd rather see them kill the character off in an honorable you know, way mm-hmm. as opposed to seeing him be reduced to some sort of comical action figure, mm-hmm. which is what that trailer, like the little bit, right? So they announce the title and then they go back uh-huh. And he whips like all around the room. The gun and then, joke. Like yeah. there's like 200 guns pointed at him, and he just ducks under the table. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to see that kind of crap. Like that's not Indiana right. Jones, right? So well, but we also we have to remember too. You know, his his there's going to be. I mean, other than the de aging technology thing, which they're making such a big deal out of, I don't know why. Um, Dude, it looks really good. That's it, I mean, it does look really good, yeah. but I'm just like, okay, you might they might probably use what 10, 12 shots of it in close is what I'm going to assume. Uh, well, I based think on how much use a lot more, I'm calling it right oh. now. I'm going to say it's probably closer to forty percent because I think, think that story's going to be told in all flashback, and no, you're going to get probably forty forty percent. I'll I'll say it's going to be the opening set piece. That's what I would put my money on because that's how we want to go back, right? Back into the world. Um, I think it's going to open as the as the big action set piece uh, that the that the franchise is known for. Yeah, that would that would make the most sense to me at least. But then again, I don't you know who knows. But uh, no, I yeah. Um, I want to see it. I'm going to see it. I'm not saying I'm not going to see it. Uh, I just go with reservations about CGI trickery. And again, this was a friend. This was a character built on Harrison Ford's ability to be physical. And I don't need to see, you know what I mean? Like that, that hurts me worse than anything else. Yeah. And people talk about how like, you know, great he looks for 80 years and he old does. And, oh, he does look and i'm like fantastic. that's not the point though the point no. is you know he can't do that physical stuff oh. stuff that he used to do and um uh and and he's aged and so i i think it's you know i i like seeing him and seeing the character aged um you know but but i uh i am fascinated by how this uh this uh, aging stuff is going to look because I think it's the future, dude. I mean, if this if oh, they pull absolutely. this off, if they pull this off and it's believable, then this just opens up all kinds of avenues to read. Oh things. yeah, very yeah. interesting, very interesting. Yeah. Well, we're uh, we're lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. Other than ruminating about uh, 
or even reminiscing about uh, the old days. <laughs> Remember when? Uh, when uh, movie theaters were movie theaters. God damn it. <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones was Indiana Jones. <laughs> I don't think it was that bad. Was it that no, bad? No, know. it wasn't. I'm just, I'm just messing. I gotta, I gotta poke the bear a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we review, uh, we'll review. We talk about films uh, on this uh, here show. This week, uh, we're doing a couple of films. Doctor Watson watched a film called Roller Coaster from 1977, directed by James Goldstone. I watched a film called A Touch of Zen. Uh, from 1971, although really it wasn't released until seven, around 75. Uh, it had a very complicated production history. Uh, it was directed by King Hugh. Uh, I would love to get started with Roller Coaster this week because when you texted me this, I was just like, what? And then I beat I, I it immediately and went, holy moly, how do I not know that this film exists? And I, I'm just infinitely curious oh well i love this movie i'm so glad that it piqued your interest i think it's great i you know um i discovered it as a kid um it's um it's just one of these little gems that came out of the 70s that i remember uh we rented this on vhs uh and i recently confirmed this story with my brother that he rented it um, it was PG, so it wasn't like it was dirty or anything, but it was really scary to me as a kid, you know, because I think I was like nine or 10 when I saw it. And, you know, in the 70s and 80s, the rise in amusement parks just absolutely skyrocketed. And they were usually built, amusement parks being very different from theme parks, right? But amusement parks would build their structure around like a roller coaster as the centerpiece of what, you know, the amusement park was. So, you know, you'd have these looping coasters and these like really extravagantly built wood coasters and all this. There's a wonderful, you know, amount of history about amusement parks and roller coasters that you can, that you can see, but this movie marks uh, a real like sort of economic boom in theme uh, amusement parks doing that where they were, you know, building a coaster for, uh, a grand opening kind of thing to draw people in, you know, it was going to become the anchor for the, uh, the whole site. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh roller coaster takes place uh, in that, uh, in that time we're post Vietnam. Uh, and um, so we've got this, uh, this guy, we don't, we never know his name. He's just referred to as the young man played by the amazing Timothy bottoms. Uh, who uh, just has this thing about wanting to blackmail these amusement park companies. So he's going around to different amusement parks and setting bombs or explosives on the tracks and, you know, killing people. Uh, it's, it's, he's a terrorist, right? Uh, and um, so uh, George Seagal, uh, who's like this staple actor right out of the set. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, uh, plays the uh, you know, the theme park inspector who has to kind of still he's like, Well, I expected that coaster myself, you know, I, I there was nothing wrong with it, you know. Um, and so he gets drawn into sort of the mystery. So the, the movie is really, you know, a mystery kind of cat and mouse game. Um, you know, I, I think a contemporary film, uh, is like in the line of fire with Clint Eastwood, like kind of plays with these same kind of cat and mouse kind of you know, scenarios where, you know, a tragedy is coming, but you just don't know which amusement park he's going to hit. Right. Does and he this, wants money. 
he's, he's he wants money you know that's yeah. that's what he's he's like i, I want a million dollars from all well, these amusement this, park companies does this though fit into that 70s disaster film you know mode i want to be or... very clear about this because okay. they talk about this and and props to the shout factory man sponsor us but they they are doing some great dvd releases where they're finding these old movies and they're putting um you know great special features on there so i listened to an interview with the writer and got some amazing backstory on how mm-hmm. the film even happened but yes jeff you're right it came and was born out of that airport line of sort of earthquake airport, all mm-hmm. those kind of disaster films of the seventies. But um, when, uh, uh, when Sanford Sheldon and William Link and Levinson got involved, it became something different. They wanted to not do a disaster movie. They wanted it to be uh, a mystery suspense film in the vein of Hitchcock. And you can see Hitchcock's, signature all over this movie um mm-hmm. you know from the camera work to lalo Schifrin does the music i mean True. it's it's yeah it's really it's really really creepy in places and it's just very effective so the one controversy from the movie that i think was fallout was um uh sanford sheldon was saying that the original writer was saying that in his original script they gave a backstory to the young man. He had given him a name. He had made him a veteran who mm-hmm. was doing explosives in Vietnam and having trouble like adjusting, having PTSD, and that that's what was driving him to do these coasters. And they cut that part out of the script mm-hmm. and they just made the young man, they just called him the young man. And uh, they just made him like a blackmail extortionist mm-hmm. who just, you know, is is like an explosives guru, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it works, Jeff. It's still it's still a great little movie. Um, and it's still tense in places. The roller coaster footage is so mm-hmm. good. They shot in like three different parks, and some of those coasters aren't even there anymore. So it's really interesting to see uh from a historical perspective, you know, what it looked like uh in the late 70s at like magic mountain and places right um how dangerous they were constructed yeah i mean <laughs> seriously i mean some the of old wood roller coasters no no yeah. i trust I mean, me i'm scared i got scared the shit out of me on a number of them in my life yeah it's scary and um they they did talk about how um they struggled to find locations because a lot of the amusement parks didn't want them to shoot there because they didn't want the perception you know that their coaster was you know not safe right um uh and so they did struggle to find some parks that uh that would let them shoot in there but that footage is really good man i mean it's really good uh you know and, and you're looking at it and you're going well they 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 used a crane there they built they mm-hmm. built something homemade to make this work you know i mean i saw some bts photos again thank you shout factory but the way they were mounting those cameras on the coasters i mean that's homemade stuff jeff that's that's like the dp getting together with like the camera crew and the <laughs> and the construction team you're like we're gonna build this frame it's gonna go on here the camera's gonna rest here how much i mean it's just kind of that engineering fun that happens you know bts that you don't get to see or hear about you only see the results but yeah man it's a great it's a great it's just a great ride it's a lot of fun i enjoyed it um so so what who 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 made this film happen? Was this like Universal Warner Brothers? Was this what they would consider? I mean, when you when I look back, I was you're mentioning the cast list like George Siegel, Richard Widmark, Timothy Bottoms. 
uh, even according to IMDb, Henry Fonda shows up in this. Henry thing. Fonda's in this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, I he mean, plays George Siegel's boss. Um, uh, some great character actors from the 50s, 60s, 70s are all in this. It's Helen Hunt's first movie. She's in it as well. Oh, she wow. plays George Seagal's daughter. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> she's like maybe 12 or 13 years old. She's very, very young, but she's, this was her first movie. Mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i mean the the director was uh james goldstone um and it was a universal picture uh goldstone really um you know a couple of other movies come to mind uh he made a movie called kent state in 1981 Ooh, okay uh yeah and um i think i think he did iron horse in 66 um so those are he's not like a somebody I would say is a regular household name out of the seventies or anything, but, um, but yeah. What kind of, what kind of character does Richard Widmark play? Because I I adore, Oh no, I adore Richard Widmark. I, I, his noir film work, kiss of death. I mean, the infamous scene in kiss of death where he's cackling, pushing the woman in the wheelchair down the stairwell and the way that he laughs, you know, it's just, I love Richard Widmark. Did he have an actual role in this or was it? Yes. So uh, just knowing what you know about Richard Widmark, what role would you think you, you would cast him in like in a movie like this? Well, he would have been much older. Yeah. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, someone who knows what's going on. Right, well, right. Someone in charge, right? Yeah. Someone, right, right. He's he's the police. Okay. The like police federal police. Yeah, who's in charge of, of hunting the guy down, right? And the mm-hmm. one in the room who's listening to all the various opinions about how we should, you know, be going about trying to capture this guy and whether we should pay him the ransom or not, you know. He's the only one that listens to George Seagal, you know, uh, uh, he's the only one that's like, oh, OK, I think this guy is in his head. I think he knows, you know, what his next move is. And, um, you know, and like I said, it becomes a cat and mouse game between George Seagal and uh, Timothy Bottoms, um, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's but he's definitely uh, he's got great moments of authority, you know, uh, Richard Widmark in those scenes. Um where it's like when he speaks, everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna jump. You know, they're they're well gonna, because they're I mean he's he's just for people that don't know. I mean, he just one of the great character actors uh, coming out of the forties. And another one I'll point out is uh, he was in Samuel Fuller's pickup on South Street, uh, playing the co lead. So good, just so amazing as a pickpocket who gets wrapped up in, you know, a communist, you know, communist conspiracy plot. And that, that film alone, I, I can't tell people enough. You got to go watch pickup on South street. It, it's, it's just, it still holds up so incredibly well. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, it's also noir. So it's, it's <laughs> so it's in your wheelhouse. I, so it's, yeah. it's in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I, I just, um, there's uh there there are really just some great scenes there's there's the um the first time that the coaster blows right like we we get to see him sort of set it up and we don't know all the specifics they do a nice job very hitchcockian in a way of sort of like choosing when to reveal like what's in his pocket and what you know we can theorize but until we know um that it's like oh my god he's he's got like a detonator switch you know um right it's uh it's built up well 
And then that whole sequence, just from a production standpoint, the way it's shot using practicals and and some some sets that they built, um, it was really cool. Um, and from what I understand, was a lot gorier mm-hmm. than what actually made the edit right that they had cut a lot more of bodies and people oh, so being there, like did you get to see up and so there were no deleted scenes of this or there's there weren't any deleted scenes film? no there weren't any deleted scenes but um in the interviews they did talk about how um that original sequence was the very first coaster explosion was supposed to be much more graphic and you got to see there's a great still gallery um on the the blu-ray so i got to go through all the pictures from production and i saw the 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 set pieces and how they were doing it and it was much bloodier than what what that actual sequence ended up being but i think you got the point i mean it was gross you know it was ugly you know having an accident on a roller coaster is going to be the- ugly, right? It's going to be ugly. Um and it, and you know and it, and they 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 played that uh they they played that well to their strength. I there's you know Jeff when I think about movies like this one and the opening sequence of Final Destination 3 where they're on the roller coaster. Oh yeah, yeah. Those 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 scenes are just so well executed um you know in building that sense of anxiety and suspense because you know when you're on a coaster like that you're already like at the height of your like fight or flight like anxiety like you know Ooh, this is going to be fun I hope I live you know that kind of stuff um and and then this these you know movies like this just play on that fear because we know that they're not going to make it you know and it's just mm-hmm. oh grueling grueling really gets me i did not realize that you liked the final destination films because i just i personally think they're just gross well i want to be clear on this (laughs) i i like the first final destination movie and then the rest of them i think just have like decent moments um you know uh the guys behind the final destination franchise were x-files writers who you know, it's James Wong and the, that whole crew um, that kind of went off and did um, and did Final Destination while X Files was still on the air, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I just kind of followed those writers, you know, who became right. writer directors, and I just kind of saw what they did outside of uh, the show, mm-hmm. and um, that's how I found my way. The first one I thought was really clever, you know, kind of a nice little reworking of Phantom Carriage and a couple of other little movies, but the. The others, I'm just like, well, there are sequences, right? And it's usually the main opening sequence where you see how everyone dies. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, just the execution and the terror and the the, the suspense of those scenes mm-hmm. are what sells me on the Final Destination franchise. But yeah. not really like a fan or like, ooh, it's, you know, awesome horror, you know. No, they're just, you know, they've got some effective moments. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and that's just always as I'm more, I'm more of a traditionalist, you know, person. And when the whole... Eli Roth movement really began in the Saw stuff and Final Destination. I was just like, well, how much more graphic can we get? Yeah, well, get, I you think know, that's a yeah. I mean, sure, Jeff, that's a great. Um, I I too get very fatigued by gore for gore's sake. I understand right. that sometimes it can be done in a way that's really unique or like more terrifying just because of the discomfort that it creates like the movie uh the recent movie terrifier is kind of like that with gore okay yeah i've i've um, seen the the press on the 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 terrifier 2 or whatever it is and you know i'm not going to knock an independent filmmaker that guy is 
somehow that film has made like ten million dollars on a yeah, like no, three hundred thousand dollar budget. And, and God bless him, you know. But I did watch the trailer and I said, no, nope. <laughs> 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 and that's okay. Yeah, um, you know, I, 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 um, I, I, I think that the horror genre has a strong history of being gory at times for very, you know, specific reasons. Um, You know, the grindhouse of the seventies, the, you know, I mean, even John Waters loves a lot of those movies as well. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, he was talking about his love for them. And so, you know, just kind of some of it is about, was about pushing boundaries and, and um, you know, uh, I think there's a history there, but I think gore works when it's integrated correctly into the story. And so if I'm, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm seeing something that has zombies in it, eh, it's probably going to be gory, right? You know, I have sort of certain expectations, mm-hmm. um, but it's not something I seek out when I'm looking for the horror that I specifically really enjoy. And that speaks to me, you know, um, and probably some of that's evidenced by just even the horror films that I've picked on this podcast so far. Right. I mean, there's a ton I, mean- I can do, but they're mostly, not gory right there no no like in this i mean more less is more do you think roller coaster was maybe mismarketed as a horror film or maybe that it it because i was watching the trailer for it and i was kind of like oh what what is this you know and like i mean i was just like i was fascinated by it but at the same time i was kind of like what what is this yeah i I think i I think so i think some people did think of it as more of a disaster movie um like a like a black monday or black sunday you know yeah exactly yeah exactly um and and i do i mean it did uh, the film did okay i mean it didn't it wasn't like a huge blockbuster in the summer like they were hoping but um but it did it did well um but yeah i think it was just kind of jumping off of that um you know that kind of jaws trend of trying to have like Everyone. an event kind of but yeah yeah I mean, <laughs> you know, like everybody trying to, to well is yeah yeah um is universal it was the same um it was okay it was universal that, okay. that produced this movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know it, it, i can just see like when they're pitching these films are just like it needs to be one word dynamic you know it's jaws roller yeah. coaster well airport 77 they did yeah you're right um and they did do one they did do one fun thing which i which i hadn't heard about but i looked it up it's called a uh, sense around Oh boy. It was a sound technique. Yes. And I was like, oh, what is this crap? Right. So I had to look it up uh-huh. uh, because I'd never heard of it. And it turns out it's marketed as some sort of recording technique, but it okay. actually has nothing to do with recording. It has to do with <laughs> um, technology that was installed in the theaters. And I read okay. up about it that it was designed to sort of shake and vibrate when it was reading the decibel levels off of Uh the theater sound. Uh So it was somehow going to make the roller coaster sounds more realistic. What I read that was a total disaster and that some theaters actually had their walls like cracked during the screenings of these movies because uh, yeah, it shook the structure yeah and then it cracked the structure because that's science um so they <laughs> they kind of did away with they did away with that technique but um but yeah that was part of the marketing too as well that's know. why i say give me good old-fashioned dolby digital that's all i need <laughs> yeah. thx people do you ever do Absolutely. you ever miss do you ever miss the thx intro yes i do yeah i do uh so what we're talking about for people who don't know like <clears throat> papa george lucas was very annoyed with theater sound uh, and he made it his mission to make 
sound in movie theaters better because the tagline was the audience is listening. And he is absolutely correct because that's also why we go to the movies is to sit in an impossible surround sound environment um, that you could never replicate at home. And uh, so he came up with uh, uh, the THX system uh, and not every theater had it. It was a big deal. I mean, it didn't cost more to go to the movie, but you were like, is it in, is it in the THX theater? Like, so it when you sit more after they installed it in your theater, but not before. Really? I don't remember. Okay. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. The tickets went up a couple of bucks. I okay. Think, because of the install. Yeah. But you would, you would sit down and uh, I'll, I'll try to throw the YouTube link to it up on the, on the discord. Cause I'm sure oh, you someone's got posted. To. Yeah, you, got to. you know, it would just sit and you go, you hear the sound system would crank on very slowly. And like all the speakers would start going in this like wonderful, like, low hum vibration like you're talking about would start and it would all just you know crescendo and come down and you'd have thx the audiences i mean you knew the movie it gets you excited about the movie as strange as that sounds i I used to at least just get very amped like i was this is like the movie starting now the movie is starting it was hype right i mean you would just get hype at that point um because of the way it was presentational and so you knew that the shit that was coming next was going to rock your world right yeah absolutely absolutely because if it wasn't in thx baby it just wasn't a movie then you weren't really listening uh well uh we're lonely phds i'm dr jeffrey hazy's dr joseph watson we just got done talking about the 1977 film roller coaster from james goldstone and uh universal pictures uh up next i'm going to talk about a film called a touch of zen from 1971 uh directed by king hugh uh basic tagline on this movie is a lady fugitive on the run from corrupt government officials is joined in her endeavors by an unambitious painter and skilled buddhist monks joey what do you think the skill the Buddhist monks have? Uh, I'm going to say some form of martial arts. You are correct, sir. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. So this is this is a really interesting. I didn't I know nothing about this movie, Jeff. Like you yeah. said this and I'm like, what is that like some kind of book that he saw like in the <laughs> no. you know, store? And oh, they made a movie out of this. Uh, nice. Oh, isn't it cute? Thing. They made yeah, a movie. Right. Out is of it the animated? Book. You know, I don't know. Like what? What is this? No, it's 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 a blind spot in my uh, actual love of of post-World War Two Japanese cinema. OK, right. And or or even just Asian or you know pan pacific cinema sure uh as it were uh i did not realize that you know there was these whole separate movements of films or has a whole separate genre this film is classified as part of the waxia uh genre which literally just means it's a martial arts adventure film and <laughs> yeah, right because uh, you know i just always think about like you know like lady snowblood or you know things, right. yeah. things like yeah. that i'm like well, doesn't that kind of fall? And they're like, no, it is no. not a Waxia film. <laughs> uh, you know, if you, I, I read some really mad Reddit people, like I'm being big. Shocker, Are you serious? Really? Yes, if you, I did, cause some people were just like, well, that character debating. didn't wear the right underwear. So that's not a Waxia. You'd movie. be surprised. Really? Like, really? like from outfits to, to tone, to all of these things, you know, apparently it's, it's deadly serious <laughs> or Puri- it was at least. Purists, was- purists are everywhere. People. Purists are everywhere, you know, and 
And just like the Westerns, like the Italian Westerns, yeah, uh, you know, it's in those same veins. Um, at least these films are always to me. And, and I notice I don't say samurai films or I don't right. say because I think that the good and the bad of Kurosawa's Seven Samurai is unfortunately he created something that was basically a period drama, you know, uh, with action, but yet it seems to have created a whole subgenre, you know, genre of, of quote unquote, you know, samurai films. And, and when you watch the actual Kurosawa's, uh, uh, what I like to call his traveler films is more what I call it because that just makes more sense to me, you know, with Rashomon and all this, you know, this yeah. is just about people on a journey. It just happens to be centered more on like feudal Japan and, you know, all, all of these places. And, and Touch of Zen is very much the same way. Okay. Uh, it, 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 takes place in uh, uh, this, this sort of feudal uh, uh, period um, and in a remote mountain village and it's beautiful. I think it, I think it's like 14th, 15th century, something, something along those lines. And I'll say that the thing I love about watching these types of films, <clears throat> excuse me, is I get to see like the landscape mm-hmm. of, of, something I'm never going to actually be able to visit or see. Right. Right. And it's always breathtaking. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, that establishment of place. Oh, and that, Yeah. Yeah. And they're yeah. so important in these films, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're so important about, you know, the mythology of the area, the mythology of the stories, the mythology, like, you know, this thing's like a kitchen sink almost because it's a little bit about, We've got stuff about, you know, Buddhism. We've got stuff about ghost stories. We've got stuff about, you know, uh, we've got a feminist protagonist, right? Like who's who's not going to take crap off of nobody, um, you know. And that's also what I I loved about the Lady Snowblood films. I mean, Lady Snowblood films are ridiculous. They they are just the most violent. No plot. I mean, there's yeah. really no plot to, but hyper violent. Hyper violent, yes. you know, it, but I mean, I still enjoy seeing that, you know, the female hero. I, I love it, you know, and, and I know there's problems with Kill Bill. I, I know that there's problems with that film, but man, uh, and these films directly influence, you know, right. Tarantino. And also, honestly, this film, I mean, Ang Lee needs to get down on his hands and I mean, it's, it is very obvious that Crouching Tiger uh, Hidden Dragon is very influenced by this film. Um, seriously influenced by this film. Huh. I think he was on, I think he gave an interview on the Criterion set of this. I just didn't have time to uh, gotcha. time to investigate it, but uh, it's definitely got all those blueprints of using nature, you know, and respecting nature too, I think is always the, is the really interesting thing. Like to, you know, these, these people believe in, they won't say they believe in ghosts, but they certainly do. Mm. Uh, and it's used as a plot device, you know, mm. to 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 help our to help our heroes out, you know, in defeating uh, 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 the enemy in 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 this in this film. So I, I just you know, this film has a strange development history. Um, first of all, the film's three hours and forty minutes long. Holy shit! Yeah. Um, it originally was <laughs> that's an investment. Okay. That's, that's an, an investment. investment. Yeah. So originally it was broken into, it was two films. They finished the first film, got to the 
end segment they wanted to get to and released it like in 1970 or 71. And then they filmed the next bit, very Lord of the Rings, right? Very Peter Jackson. Yeah. Uh, and then filmed the next bit and then released it, you know, the year later. Um, they did not have this three hour, 40 minute cut of the film until about 1974 or 75. Then it got the three hour and 40 minute cut got screened at, at con and it won like all kinds of technical awards, you know, cinematography, uh, best foreign, you know, you know, they have all those weird categories, in right, con, right, right. you know, but, but uh, people were really swept up with it. And, and for good reason, because again, you know, you and I on the show, we talk about world building. We talk about, you know, if if filmmakers are working with their cinematographers and they're working it right and understanding how to build a place that exists but yet does not, um, this certainly does that job. Again, we are isolated in the mountains of China in the most beautiful regions, but yet it's a little spooky. You know, it's a little foggy. It's a little too remote. You know, even one of the characters at one time, uh, they come in and he gets introduced and he goes, how do you know I'm a stranger? He's like, there's no village for here, <laughs> like 300 miles, man. I know everyone around here. So yes, <laughs> I know you're a stranger. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm just, I'm more There are some up. towns in Georgia like that too, you know. Oh, is there now? Yeah, Did you have yeah, a few yeah. experiences with those? <laughs> Shout out Georgia, uh, sponsor us. Anyway, you're not uh, from around here. We know. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you going, boy? (laughs) No, basically what we have here is a, is a, you know, kind of a, a classic political, uh, revenge film. Uh, turns out that the, our female protagonist, her family, uh, were high up, uh, in, in politics, they get assassinated, she gets to run, you know, and saves her life, but she's made it, she's dedicated her life to, of course, killing those that, you know, killed her family. And you've got that. Well, it's, a redemption. Story. it's a redemption arc, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, okay. it's, it's so again, that's, that's it. That's the thing about these types of films too, uh, from Japan during this era is that mostly it's all style, but somehow like this film is very compelling, you know, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, and obviously I could only, I only had time to watch it once, you know, so I didn't get a, you know, another, another shot at it, but I certainly am very interested in going back in with my notes and thinking about, you know, there's something here, even though I know this story is so, you know, cardboard, it's, it's the execution of it. It's the way that they piece this thing together. They're not in a hurry. You know, this is this film does not hurry at any point. This film just and it doesn't drag in in, in the action set pieces. Dear Lord, I, I mean, they are they are just absolutely uh, uh, astounding. One of them, uh, the, the set piece that closes the original first film, right, when it was still two films and it wasn't one. Right. Uh, uh, one complete uh, the, first, the the proper first film before it went to th- it's this it's this 10 minute sword fight in a bamboo forest Jesus. And I, yes and it's all sword play and you know running around and bouncing off things and somersaulting and you know all this it took them 25 days to shoot this joey 25 days to shoot this 10 minutes of film could you imagine the the cost seriously in the stress of spending 25 days to shoot a 10 minute quote unquote action sequence 
It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time and money. It is a lot of time. And also coming up with like unique choreography and matching it with yeah, the choreography alone. I mean, I'm just sitting here oh, thinking so about part. it's probably, it's probably got lots of cuts too. Right. Like, it's Oh probably man. It's very quickly. Right. Very but, quickly. Know. Sound so, is very important. So then you're, you're also thinking, well, if you're cutting a lot, then you might cheat on some things, you know, like you could get certain detail shots and then kind of splice those in. But just from a, construction standpoint when you're thinking about shooting those kinds of sequences oh my god like how many cameras like are you doing two three cameras are you you know are you wide are you close are you you know and and, uh just the choreography would have to be so because that's something people don't who, who don't make movies don't realize is that you know your people are in choreography and in syncopation with your cameras like it's a it's a dance like it's a very orchestrated dance of where your camera's going and where your actors are going and so when you do when you introduce a fight into the equation Mm -hmm. that just exponentially increases the the level of difficulty and and capturing what you need to make something like that work also add period costumes swords (laughs) enclosed forest area of bamboo and it's not a studio right it's like on they're on location no they're on they're on location and i'll go ahead and say there was probably no pre-production time on it you know they just had to they showed up and i think that they worked it out that they figured it out i mean you know i don't think back then that they really did have those kind of you know leverages where we can go well we can go rehearse the action sequence you know for like three days you know before i'm going to say i think that that's what also gives it its kinetic energy and inventiveness Interesting is that yeah. it feels like it was just like everyone was on the boat. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it was just like, we're all, we're right. all problem solving. Right. And we're trying to make like the best sequence that we possibly can, you know, and give people something they've never seen before, you know, and, and, and do that. And it, these films always excel at that, you know, and, and I mean, again, using even the, questionable gory ones uh, or even the 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 horrible like saturday morning you know you know badly dubbed ones i mean uh like you know barrel of drunken monkey or something it, it, it's yeah. just you know what i mean like even those I worst do. ones yeah. there's still such beautiful choreography in them and like people working so hard to 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 give you at least something um you can get in touch with us a number of ways. You can email us, lonelyphds at gmail.com. You can click on the link to our Discord where we post uh, additional information about the show and just have fun over there. Uh, or you can, of course, subscribe and uh, rate uh, uh, the show through Apple, Podbean, or whatever your uh, pod catching needs are. Uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then.